Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, we have been here three years now, and it's been a great years for us. Um, when we moved here first, our son Michael was with us. He has been serving with the Peace Corps for just about the last two years. But one of the things when he came up here, Michael has got this creative mind. And one of the things he's, he, he came up looking here is, how is your life like a sitcom? And, and, and so it's through, through this, this perspective, as we, we moved in over there, okay, who are the people in our lives that would be any, in any sitcom? Uh, if you've seen the different TV shows, you know that there's the main character, whatever family that is, uh, they are the kind of the centerpiece of the show, but there's always people that show up and come in at different points, and, and who of you are those particular people in there? And so, so you know, who is who's the, the neighbor who looks across the fence and you have conversations with, and, and uh, who is... Who who is the, the lady across the road looking through this, the, the curtains like, Abner, what's going on over there? Uh, how, how do these people fit into our story? And, and I, I mean, just a, it was a, a beautiful, creative way to think about that. And, and so at different points, I think about how you fit into different characters on sitcoms in our life. And uh, I, because your story intersects with our story. As we've come here, God has done all kinds of things in our lives. We've shared those things in our lives. And, and, but your, your life has been a story too. And our stories are connecting in different ways in this world. And, and how we, we rub shoulders with one another. Uh, story is good. We understand how we live and who each other is by the stories that we tell and the things that have gone on in our lives. And... and that's how lots of truth is communicated. And in fact, in Scripture, we have more pictures of who God is through story or narratives than we do through other kinds of ways of communicating, through propositions. Uh, there, there's very little of that. Certainly there's the Ten Commandments that, that God gives to, to Moses on the mountain, and those are kind of in propositional form. But even that comes in through story. Moses goes up to the mountain, and, and when he comes down, the people are afraid because there's thunder and fire and all that. And our story and God's story, this is how we learn who he is as people interact with him. We've been looking at the Acts of the Apostles over these last uh, months of the summer, and, and we've been seeing how God's followers begin to live their lives or live their story now as they've heard about Jesus and what he talks about the kingdom of God is all about. And, and, and now with his death and his resurrection and ascension, and, and he's entrusted this now to him or to these 12 and then the 120 beyond them, and then as it continues to grow and 3,000 come to faith after Peter preaches a sermon, telling his story and how the story of the Israelites intersected with Jesus, and then more and more how God works in their lives. And as we continue this story of the Acts of the Apostle. Uh, last week, we were introduced to a guy named Stephen, whose task was to, well, to wait on tables. As if you uh, 
bring it all down. There was a problem between how widows within the community were, were being treated, and it was a little bit along ethnic lines, and the, the disciples said, well, this is not good. Let's take care of this, and they appointed seven guys to take care of this so that this was not a problem anymore, and one of the guys, full of faith and full of the Spirit, was a guy named Stephen, and so all we know about Stephen is, at this point, through chapter 6, verse 7 of the Acts of the Apostle, is that he is going to be waiting on tables, caring for particularly the Grecian Jewish widows and the things that were going on in their lives. But as it is with all of us, we are more than, than our job description. <laughs> there is more to us than, than really what people would put into a box with us. Let's take a look at Stephen here. This is in chapter 6, starting in verse 7. We are going to go through all of 6 and all of 7. So uh, sit back and enjoy the ride a little bit here. Uh, starting in verse 8. Now Stephen, again this Stephen who's waiting on tables, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Well, all right. So there's a little bit more to him. God is using him powerfully. Verse 9, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces, provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? At the outset here, so we're discovering a little bit more about Stephen and who he was. And Stephen's not going to be in the scriptures a lot. He's just this chapter and the next, and that's it, that's it for him. But what do we see in and out of his life? Uh, well, certainly we see there's... There's a boldness about him, isn't there? Within the, with the power and the conflict there, he has boldness to approach the things that are being addressed. People are arguing with him. He's telling him about Jesus and telling him about what happened, that when Jesus died and he was resurrected and ascended and he was the son of God, and, and they began to argue. And, and they said, no, 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 you, that can't be true because he was killed by the authorities. And, 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 but as they argued, they couldn't stand up to Stephen. And... and uh, well, like many of us who lose arguments, it's like, hmm, well, I can't beat him. I don't want to join him, so let's kill him. <laughs> and so they begin to, to work against him, and they charge him with blasphemy, and they say, he's speaking against Moses. Moses, you know Moses. Mo Moses is our guy. He rescued our people from Egypt, and, and the law, God gave Moses a law, and, and this guy is speaking against it, and, and so we've got to do something about it, and that gets the attention of the leaders. And, and, and the leaders, we've, we've been watching them throughout this, and, and they're, they're just wringing their hands with these followers of Jesus because they, they thought they eradicated this thing by getting rid of Jesus in the first place. But it just keeps coming. And, and they, 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 we tell them, don't speak about this guy anymore. And they keep doing it. And, 
Now here's, here's, this isn't even the 12 that we were dealing with before, this new guy. And they bring up these charges and, and the high priest. And we've seen the high priest a couple times through this book already. He has told them again and again, don't speak in this name. And, and now these charges come up against Moses and against the law. Stephen has been speaking against them. Is this true? And Stephen has, well, he's got a defense for this. And it is, it is quite a defense. It's a pr- quite a lengthy defense. Um, but I think it's important to, to listen to all of this. What he's going to give us is, is really a review of all that happens in the Hebrew Scriptures. Because they're asking about, are you speaking against the law and against Moses? And so this is how he starts out. Verse 2 of chapter 7. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land the Chaldeans and, and, of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamar, at Shechem for a certain sum of money. Whew. Okay, there's Genesis. As the time grew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. 
The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression, the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be the ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is the, that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with it is what is written in the book of the prophets. Do you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? That quotation is from Isaiah 66. And then, having done all that, he you know, turns the point back to those who are accusing him. You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Oh, that's quite a defense, isn't it? <laughs> So he comes up with this whole speech and this whole, the, the, the swath of, of the Old Testament, what God had done in Genesis and Exodus, and then through the prophets, through Joshua, and all the things that were occurring there. 
Stephen brings this as part of his defense. You accuse me of, of, of denigrating Moses, of, of, of not listening to Moses? Here's who this Moses is. This is the Moses who led our people, who delivered and rescued them. And this is the Moses our forefathers rejected and did not listen to. You're going to talk to me about this. This is who Moses is. And the law, this is the law that Mo- God gave to Moses. And you don't even obey this law. And well, Towards the end of this, he uh, again turns the tables on them. He, the one who is accused, now accuses the accusers of having failed to do the very thing they've accused him of. Uh, you say that I'm, I'm tearing down Moses and the law? You're not even doing it yourself. And in fact, when the Son of God comes here, you murdered him. Whew. Well, that's quite a defense. He takes the story. As he begins to, to live out the story, he tells the story of what God had been doing in his people and, and why God had been doing what he was doing and, and who he was using to do it and and. and brings it back upon them and says, what about you? And then, well, the defense has its own reaction. And it's not pretty. And as this passage ends, verse 54 says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Uh, The reaction, well, Stephen becomes a martyr. He's killed because of what he said. And it's a provocative thing, I think, for us, because if we were to look at Stephen and all the descriptions we have of Stephen in the text, what does it say about him? Here is a man filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, and when he's asked about what he's doing, if he's tearing down Moses and the law and, and, the, and the temple, he gives this vibrant att- defense based upon, well, the Word of God. As he's talking with people who understood these words, who, who lived by these words, who, who it was exceptionally important and that they live themselves and, and, and work out of this, he says, this is what God has been doing. And you would say, and if we were looking for fairness in this, here's the guy who's doing it right. Why isn't God blessing him? Why does he get killed? And, and killed in a way that I think for each of us is, would be unthinkable. Uh, to be stoned is, well, just think about the dynamics of, of being stoned. You, 
you get hits once and a bruise and then again and a broken bone and some more bruises and broken bones and then some in the head, a broken nose, a concussion and, and, and you fall down finally and, and it still comes, this relentlessness. And you think, what gives? Why does he go through this? And you'd think at this point he'd be a little bit, God, <laughs> thought I was doing what you wanted. <laughs> and the thing was, he was. But part of following God is, well, we follow our Savior. And as we remembered in the communion earlier, well, our Lord and Savior, he did everything, right? And look what happened to him. And when Jesus was talking with his disciples, he said, you know what? The world hates me. And because of me, they're going to hate you. If you stand for me, this is how it is. And part of walking faithfully with God is, is understanding that there are those who want nothing to do with this message. It is a message that calls us to not be in control of this world and our lives, but to recognize that there was one greater than us. To recognize that we have, well, responsibility for our actions and the things that we do and that we are sinners. And this is a hard thing for us to admit, but it's an important thing for us to admit because it's the reality of where we're at. And yet with that... Again, as we remember these elements, God came and he told us about the kingdom of God and to repent and believe and, and gave the pictures through stories of what the kingdom of God is like and, and then willingly went through this so that we could have this new life. And Stephen embracing this life and being led by the Spirit endures this horrible thing. And yet at, at the end of that, you have this, this sense of even joy as, as, as the people are turning on him. And, and he looks up and, and he's given this vision, this almost confirming picture from God himself and, and Jesus standing at the throne of God and, and says, look, I see Jesus and he's standing at the throne of God and, and recalls even the words of Jesus as he was facing this same group of people and, and they say, you call yourself the Son of Man. As I tell you the truth, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God's throne and and Stephen sees this and comes up with almost the same words. And, and then as the stoning comes to its conclusion, he says, Lord, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Again, reminding us of the words of Jesus on the cross. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a different picture than we sometimes get 
for instance, in the Psalms. Uh, at this point in my, in my reading throughout the year in the scriptures, I, I've been reading the Psalms, and there's a lot of Psalms that when something bad happens, uh, the response in the Psalms is, Lord, these bad people, they got me, so smite them. Take care of them. Destroy them. Bring them down. Bring down those nations. Destroy them, Lord. Yes, I'm glad you did that. And, and, and that's just that just feels right, doesn't it? When, when people do bad things to us, they're like, get them. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And, 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 and yet Jesus and then Stephen following his example says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Because this work of Jesus was for all mankind who would be in opposition to him that they might know that God loves them so much that he did this for us, that he endured that for us, that we remember this was an intentional act of his so that we might be restored. I think the uh, the takeaway for me in, in this passage, this long passage, is as we reflect upon, well, the stories of Scripture and the, the message that God gives us. He gives us pictures of what it means to know Him and to walk with Him. And, and part of that picture is we, we live this life here in these physical bodies, but we also recognize there's more to this and that if things don't quite happen here, the way that we would want them to, we recognize God's world, God's universe, God's kingdom. It transcends all of this. It reminds on some level of the book of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were imprisoned for their failure to bow down to another God who was a man and the penalty for them was death. And they said, we know our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. Why? Because our devotion is to God himself. Not to someone, some organization. It is God who loved me so much. It demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our life. And the call for us in living faithfully now is to recognize that wherever we go, we are his people. We represent him. We have, well, we have our story. And the story that has intersected with God's story, how he has drawn us, If you've come to faith in Jesus, uh, there's a past that you had previous to that. And that story helps change your story. And if you've been walking with him for a while, you've seen the ways and the dynamics that have happened because you've connected your story with his story. And you have a story to tell others. This is how God has called me and changed me This is who he is in my life. Because we all together are part of this. You are characters in my story.
and I'm a character for good or for ill in yours. <laughs> and all of us living this out in connection with the sc- story that God has presented to this world of his love and care to a world that's turned its back on him. But he says, come back. How do you live this out? How do you embrace this? Well, I can't answer every specific facet of this for you because your story is different than mine. (laughs) But for each of us, what is God doing, using, calling us to as we live this out? Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this, uh, this morning uh, we, we come and, and, again, we come to the elements of, of communion and remem- remembering what you've done for us and, and seeing Stephen and, and his passionate defense of, of you and what you've done and how you've raised Jesus and yet uh, the implications for him was this brutal death and yet, and yet in this, his honoring and giving you glory. And Lord, we just as soon not be stoned to death. But whatever you call us, whatever places you bring us to, may we, like him, be people full of grace, be full of your spirits. And may our knowledge of your word, of your story, so fill us that we can connect the dots in our lives with the things you're doing in and around us. And even if we can't connect some of those dots, to remember that you are our dwelling place. You are our security. You are our hope and our trust. And build this into our lives. Guide us this day through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.